John Boy Media has a new teammate. It's iHeart Podcasts. What does it mean? John Boy Media shows can now be found over at the Dan Patrick Show. That's right. How cool is that? Wake and Jake and Jimmy's three things have joined the iHeart Podcast and Dan Patrick Show family. And the best part, they'll still continue to be the same shows you know and love. If you couldn't tell, we're excited about this one. And thank you guys for listening. All right, and welcome to uh, this week's edition of A Lot of Basketball. Uh, we've got a, a, a rather stacked pod for you uh, this week. Uh, we got two regulars on the pod, two very good friends of mine. Uh, gentlemen, I'll let you introduce yourselves. I'm your actual friend, Greg. We went to college together. Yeah, and, and my, I'm, I'm tall. I'm more of a friend of a friend. but uh, No, but we're becoming friends. It's quickly happening. I know so many people in your family now. So, I mean, we're, we're creating bonds and linkages every, every week. Blood is thicker than water, as they say. Definitely, definitely. All right, so let's, we've, we've got a stacked, uh, a stacked pod this week. Um, a new format, a slightly different format. We're going to go with the theme of, of injury report this week. So we're going to take you through kind of uh, different levels of severity of injuries. Greg, all too appropriate if you, if you catch my drift, right? No, I got no idea what you're talking about. Well, I, I broke my ankle, so uh, so I am in definitely the out category. I forgot the, that happened. Yeah, Kevin, when did you break your ankle? Uh, I broke my ankle the Monday before Thanksgiving. So clearly, we're not that good of friends. If I didn't know that, but Greg well, didn't even remember, so I yeah, guess that Greg doesn't say know. much for him either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So how did I, you break it? You have to tell the people how you broke your ankle. Well, in true ALOB fashion, I was playing basketball in a men's league, and uh, I got patchouliaed, basically. Uh, funny Someone enough, patchouliaed you? They, they snuck under you while you took a jump shot? That's exactly what happened. And, and if, if you could guess what college the player went to that did this to me, I, 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 bet, I bet you could get it in like three or five guesses. Was it Duke? It was Duke. Yep. I was going to say he didn't even go to college. He's from the Republic of Georgia. Ooh, another good guess, but that not correct. The guy was from Duke. His name's Matt Christensen. He's, uh, yeah, my enemy. Number one, public enemy number one right now. I mean, did you, did you like, make up with him, or, or are you still – that's still uh, I, sort of a rivalry? I, I am feuding, yes. I'm definitely feuding. I mean, I was, I was lighting him up to start the game, and he got really upset. And uh, he just decided to go ahead and patchouli me. So, you know, here we now, are. Did he actually play later. basketball? He actually played basketball at Duke. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I'm seeing his player page. He's listed at six ten. What was he doing guarding you? Oh yeah, he's a giant. He, uh, I don't know, big mismatch. I'll tell you what. But he, his size eighteen foot took up plenty of space. And I'm sorry. Well, at least you had plenty of time to research basketball. I did. So, good, great transition. So, with that being said, I did get to spend quite a, time, uh, a lot of time watching the NBA uh, the last two weeks. So, and, and also to keep in, in, in line with the ankle injuries, we're just going to jump right into it and talk about the number one ankle injury in the NBA right now, which is Steph Curry's ankle. Uh, you know, something that we didn't expect to see given uh, he's had some pretty clean bills of health. But uh, he's now out for, they say, of several weeks. They're estimating two. So I guess first question I've got for you guys is, is what does this mean for the Warriors? This, this is kind of, I guess, Durant's 
time to shine and step in, but I, I want, I'm curious what you guys think about uh, what this kind of means for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, if ever there was a team to survive uh, an injury by Steph Curry, it is the Golden State Warriors. Um, let's talk two years ago when he hurt his hurt his knee in the in the playoffs, and they still were able to survive and make the NBA Finals without him. Or I mean, like he came back during the Western Conference Finals at some point, I believe. He came off the bench and lit it up. But he was never really like a hundred percent again. Which is probably why they lost the finals. Should we just talk about that NBA finals? Let's just go back to 2015. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. No, yeah. so so they could survive it. I mean, they got Durant, they got Clay Thompson, Thompson, they got Draymond Green. That's that's three All NBA players right there. So, uh, I mean, they'll definitely miss the two time MVP, not, but they won't they won't struggle to score the way they move the ball is. You could you could fit anyone in. I mean, Nick Young was the best player on the Lakers last year, to be honest. So they could use him. He's they they've had games where he hasn't even played. So yeah, they, I mean, Greg, there's no doubt. Like this team is still very good without Steph Curry. Like even when he's been off the floor this year, they've still um, their offense with him off the floor would rank eighth in the league, which it would it's still pretty solid. But there there's there's no question. There's there's still more mortal when he's not fully healthy or when he's not playing because he just sort of is the engine that makes that offense go and he, he's just by far the most the most dangerous component of it with all the attention that he um he takes up from opposing defenses so i've got a, i've got a few numbers here for you when steph is on the floor their offensive rating is 118.9 points per 100 possessions and when he sits it's 106.7 so they're 12.2 points per 100 possessions better when Curry's on the floor. So there he's really the the part of the offense that I think gives him the most upside. He's kind of like that he's got that he brings the magic factor a little bit, you know. So um I, I think that when he's out the the Warriors are just merely a very very good team versus an elite one. Yeah, I I'd, I'd agree with that. Curry's the type of guy that maintains unbelievable floor spacing. Like there, there there's not many people in the league that you have to defend, you know, three feet out from from the three point line, and and that extra space I think means a lot, and, and might even translate to those twelve points. But Tom, what I, what I'm actually curious to get your opinion on is is given his history of ankle injuries, is is there cause for alarm? Is there a reason to get worried that this might snowball into something bigger? Well, I remember when he was having those ankle injuries early on in his career, they they made some change to his exercise regimen. Uh, I forget if they were strengthening specifically muscles in his quads and his legs to try and prevent these things. It was something that was a little counterintuitive, uh, what they've been doing. But uh, I mean, they just have so much science and you know, sports science to to make sure these kinds of things don't happen anymore. So um, I, I'm not concerned, like in terms of this being possibly like derailing his entire season. I think this will probably end up being just a one-off freak thing that happens. Because I think some of his injuries earlier on in his career were maybe even without, they're kind of like a non-contact type of injury, where in this one he stepped on someone's foot. That happened. That can happen to anyone. So, yeah, th this doesn't concern me too much. Yeah, yeah. And, and Greg, what do you think about, uh, you know, if he's out for that finals rematch on Christmas Day or, or 
around that time period. What do you what do you expect in that matchup? Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if if one of those teams just decided to rest some players. That seems to be what what people do during marquee matchups these days. I know it's Christmas Day's day, and they tried to make some changes where they're going to find people if they rest people. But I mean, if if someone says, "Hey, Kevin Durant has like a sore knee." Or something, you wouldn't be surprised to see that. But if that doesn't happen, I mean, I think it's more of a fair game to be honest. I think the Warriors would have had them pretty, 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 pretty heavily if if Curry was available. But now, like Tom said, they're just they go from being an elite team to a very good team, and the Cavaliers are playing some basketball, so they'll be able to compete. True, true. Yeah, I I agree. I think either yeah. way. And one thing that that. Specifically, I wanted to get into the specifics of what changes about their offense in terms of their shot selection when Steph Curry's on and off the court. Maybe it's getting a little bit into the weeds, but it, it might be interesting to some folks. Um, so when Curry's on the floor, the Warriors take 38% of their shots from three, and they hit 41%. When he's off the floor, they take just 32% of their shots from three, and they hit 38% of those threes. So they take 6% fewer shots from behind the arc, and all 6% of those go, go to the mid-range, actually. They don't take any more layups. They don't take any more dunks. All 6% go uh, – all 6% of those shots are allocated to mid-range jumpers when he's off the floor. And they shoot a worse clip from, from deep. So uh, it just goes to show kind of a tangible impact when he's off the court. Yeah, definitely. There's there's 12 points right there just in, in shot selection, right? So yeah, awesome. So, uh, so actually – Want to transition now to to keep it in the the out category of our injury report? You know, you've got Steph Curry out. The other one who's going to be out for a while is also Nerlens Noel, a name that kind of got thrown around a ton this offseason uh, in terms of what his agent did with him and and the contract negotiations. It l- looks like the circus is kind of continuing with, with him. I don't know if you guys saw last week he was getting a hot dog during halftime from the media room. Um, this week it turns out he's going to need thumb surgery and missed several weeks. Um, Carlisle has said a few offhand remarks about his, you know, uh, his performance on the court and the fact that he got a hot dog during halftime. Um, curious t- t- to get your guys' opinions on what you think about Nerlens Noel this season and kind of how he's trending uh, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's not looking good for Nerlens Noel, to be honest. Uh, took the qualifying offer this summer, made – Making four point one million this year, unrestricted free agent after the after the year because he bet on himself and he is losing that bet. He is averaging twelve and a half minutes per game, four points and four point one rebounds, which I mean, those are fine like per minute numbers, but if you're not good enough to <laughs> play more than twelve and a half minutes for one of the worst teams in the NBA, then you are doing a bad job. And like I said, I don't. I don't know what the does anyone have the numbers that the Mavericks offered him. It was. It was. It was better than four point one million. I think he was getting a good like. I'm just gonna make this up, like ten million or something per year. Sounds it was, close. It was, it was definitely somewhere around there, but he bet on himself, and now he's looking like he may be getting the the minimum next year. To be honest. Yeah, Greg, and I think it's weird because he always struck me as a as a pretty valuable player in the league. He was a guy who can be sort of a Tyson Chandler kind of rim runner um, out of a high pick and roll set. He appears to be like a, 
he could be a freak defensively. He's very long. He's very athletic. I don't know. I don't watch him enough to know how his instincts are. But he has all the tools to be a very valuable player in this league. I think there's just been some attitude issues. Rick Carlisle is known to be pretty prickly um, towards guys who don't have uh, the right attitude. I know him and obviously Rajon Rondo couldn't get along. Uh, Kevin's boy. But um, I'd be really curious to see how Noel could do in a different environment. Like uh, how Deion Waiters bet on, bet on himself when he went to Miami and then got paid this last offseason. If, if Noel could get a new a new situation to see what he could produce. Because, um, yeah, this has not worked out for him so far. Yeah, I just looked it up. The actual offer that his, his former agent confirmed they turned down was four years, $70 million. So, And now he's eating hot dogs at halftime. So it sounds like a good, a good trade-off. Yeah, the hot dog thing was pretty funny, but I, I saw Rick Carlisle making jokes about it, like saying how he's going to get Noel a, a sponsorship from the local hot dog spot in, in Dallas. Yeah, so, yeah he seemed to take that in good humor. I, I don't think he was really too miffed about it. Yeah, yeah, I was just surprised. That, um, I, for a guy that is normally that prickly, as you mentioned, to take that one in stride was, was, was pretty surprising. Alrighty, so last uh, last note in our out section of the injury report, you've got uh, another great score, a great talent to watch, Devin Booker. Um, he's got an abductor strain. You don't you don't hear that one come out all the time, but uh, abductor strain. Uh, I believe last night or two nights ago, um, they're saying he's going to be out for two to three weeks. Obviously, the Suns suck, so not a huge deal in the overall grand scheme of things, but kind of stinks that you don't get to put on watch him put up ridiculous numbers. Um, as he did against the Celtics and the Sixers over the last couple of games. So I want to get your thoughts on, on his, his injury and, and uh, you know, quick take there. Yeah, so I don't want to be the well-actually guy, but I, think, I believe it's the adductor, the adductor, not the abductor. Those are two different muscles. When did you ad- get your PhD? <laughs> yeah, Dr. Dr. Tom here. The adductor brings your leg in towards your body. Abductor pushes it away from your body. So you know that that embarrassing machine you do at the gym all the time, Kevin? Uh, yeah. Of course, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Booker, I, I've watched a little bit of him this year, and he is re- really just an impressive scorer. The kid just turned 21 years old um, a few weeks ago. He's putting up oh 24 points per game, four and a half rebounds, four assists, on decent efficiency, certainly a lot better than he was last year, shooting 45% from the field. Uh, 38% from three on about six attempts and 87% from the free throw line. He's getting to the line at a decent amount. So just given how young he is and how dominant of a scorer he, he can be and has been consistently, I think he's got a, a pretty high ceiling in this league. Yeah, and while the Sun are bad, I thought they were going to be worse, to be honest. They're 9-17. and 17. I thought they would be worse than that. Yeah, me too. So, yeah, so he's he's been doing a great job. I actually watched like a large – portion of that that Sixers game and he was he was amazing so I'm gonna give the, the rundown of his last five games 19 points 46 points 38 points 22 and 33 I mean this guy's just just scoring he can put the ball in the basket it's 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 fun to watch I know whatever you want to say something about the 70 point game yeah I mean it was a total sham but you know whatever it still counts yeah. yeah, I mean, I know people are really critical of his defense and, and don't think that he's, like, adding that much value. That The team is, like, only two points per 100 possessions better when he's on the floor versus when he's off, which is kind of surprising. But the offense really 
craters when he's when he's off the court. So it's just the defense does get better. Um, but again, he's he's so young and he's a a shooting guard. So like, I don't think his defense is like a make or break sort of thing for his um, in terms of his value. Yeah, and that uh, adductor strain I don't think is going to do a lot of help for his defense either. <laughs> yeah, you need that adductor. <laughs> yeah, you really crucial. All righty, so let's move on. Let's move on to uh, our questionable section of the injury report. And uh, sticking, I guess, towards the, the 76ers, we're going to go with the uh, – I, I want to get your guys' take on a, a big man feud, which uh, we don't see these any uh, as frequently as we used to, but uh, Joel Embiid and Andre Drummond uh, feuding a little bit on Twitter last week, uh, kind of going back and forth at each other. First off – Want to get your guys' take on on Embiid seemingly getting in fights uh, with random people or <laughs> specific people uh, all the time, or or just kind of feuding over over Twitter with these people. So, kind of curious to get your either kind of love it or, or hate it take on on this most recent feud. Well, Embiid's the greatest person ever. I think is the short of it. Oh, sorry, you're right. He's he's just a. Uh... He's like a twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old kid, or, or whatever he is, and he just is acting like it, and he just happens to be really, really good at basketball. So he just talks crap. He talks some serious crapola, and then he he backs it up, and I love it. Yeah, and I, I enjoy it too. I do. I will say, I kind of wish there was a little more edge to it. I saw after the game, he and Andre Drummond like dapped each other up afterwards, and and so it was kind of like it was all good, but you know I don't need everything to be like the '90s where there was all that animosity, but just a little bit of an edge and and competitiveness there would have been nice. Um, uh, during the game, obviously they they were going at each other, so that's one thing. But just to see some of these feuds not get physical, but to actually be real and not just kind of staged. Yeah, yeah it makes the regular season that much better, right? Like you 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 have people that hate each other, so they try a little bit harder. Uh, it makes the games a bit more competitive, I think. Not not that I think the games, most of the games have been super competitive this year, but it does, I think, add a little bit more to the story. I also don't expect any kind of like uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson sort of rivalry here just because Drummond doesn't have that skill level or that upside in my eyes. I mean, jo- Joel Embiid is just far and away the the more skilled player with the higher ceiling. And uh, Drummond though much improved this year and is, is a great rebounder, just he can't really keep up with, with what Embiid can do on the court. Yeah, I think another big part of that, that rivalry not budding is that I think I think Drummond might just be the nicest person in the whole world. He's just <laughs> such a nice guy. And you, you don't see that fire in him to, to like really hate a person. So that, that won't help. I feel like, I mean, Embiid talking trash is just Embiid having fun. But the, Drummond's not going to respond to that kind of thing. He's he's a good player. He doesn't have the offense, but you know what are you going to do? Not everyone can be Joel Embiid. So true. So or try and date Rihanna. It's only few and far between, I guess. <laughs> All right. So I think the most probably the most suitable questionable move on this whole injury report. I'm going to go. Uh, I guess a little bit outside the NBA. But want to talk quickly. I want to give some some airtime to this, to Lavar Ball pulling his son out of UCLA, believing that he'll be able to prep him better for the NBA, 
then UCLA will. Now, I, I don't want to spend a ton of time here because I feel like a lot of people are talking about it, but I want it, Greg. I, I am assuming you've got something clever to say about what LeVar is doing here. So I'll, I'll leave it to you to, to kind of take it from there. Well, that's a, that's a lot of pressure. Well, one thing I'll say is I think, think that Le, it's Leangelo, right? I think that he it's is. Jello, it's Jello, I believe. Yeah, it's Jello. Jello. Yeah, yeah. Levar Ball has said before that not all three of his kids are going to make it to the NBA, and this is this is the one that he was talking about. And I think part of it is the only reason he was at UCLA in the first place is because of the other two of them. So he might just be hiding this guy from getting exposed for not really being good at basketball. Was one part of it, and then the other part of it is that he he was shoplifting in China, which is yeah, like you shouldn't be allowed to play basketball. Yeah, that's highly frowned upon, I guess. I mean, it wasn't great, but you really think he shouldn't be allowed to play basketball because he shoplifted something in China? It doesn't. I mean, you for, know, for, for some amount of time. Yeah, I, Greg, I, I like your hypothesis though that he's he's probably the least likely of them to make it to the league and rather than expose his legacy and his son to that might as well just take it out of his hands entirely although you feel so bad for that kid but uh yeah the only thing is i think jello is the only one of the the ball sons who's really going to need that college education because he's not gonna be playing professional basketball so like (laughs) I yes. just uh, it's a tough. I, taking him out of UCLA. I mean, that's a great school, you know, and uh, he's going to want to get that degree. He has no chance of going to the NBA. I, I listened to some podcast where they spoke to a scout and they said that Jello isn't on anyone's draft board, no matter how deep it goes. Like, it's just not really a possibility for him. So maybe playing professionally overseas is there's some potential there. And <laughs> maybe LeVar will, will, his training will help him play overseas. But you know, part of me just doubts it. It seems just like a lot of publicity. Hey, one yeah. thing about that is that he could just, if he's not going to make it to the NBA, then he might as well just go play professionally overseas right now. And he can make money right now. And I also had to say again about the the steep shoplifting. I changed my mind, Tom. You convinced me. Because <laughs> AJ Price on UConn stole a bunch of laptops one time. They suspended him. And I was like, come on. Come on, he's just stealing laptops. Get over it. So I can't, I can't be hypocritical. Let let Levar, or let Leangelo back in. He should be starting at UCLA next game. I honestly think if he were better at basketball, then uh, UCLA wouldn't have been so quick to to sit him. And maybe if his, if the, his father wasn't such a pain, they would have let let it slide a little more. But it, it did become a national incident and a whole political thing. So. Yeah, we, this isn't a political podcast. We'll leave that out. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we can move on. I think we've said enough about the Ball family. Yeah, agree. That's enough Ball for, like, the next year. Um, another, another questionable note here is actually going to be turning to Kawhi Leonard, who, who looks apparently like he could be coming back sometime soon in the next week, potentially. Um, so wanted to get your take, guys, on the right – quadriceps tendinopathy dr tom did i get that right that's correct 
that has been plaguing Kawhi, not the ankle, not getting patchouliated like myself, but actually some other injury that Tony Parker also has um, that's kind of been a, a bit of a vague injury, but but it appears like Kawhi is going to be ready to, to come back soon. I, I kind of want to get your take on, one, how does this change the Spurs, and two, if you think uh, he's actually going to be back this week. Yeah, so I think um, Tony Parker's was – even more severe. It was almost like, I think it was like a full on tear of the quadriceps and he had to have surgery. Whereas Kawhi, I don't believe has had any kind of surgery and it's just been this lingering weird issue. And the, and the spurs are just so secretive about the whole thing. So there's, it's just caused a lot of speculation from spurs fans and NBA analysts as to what's actually going on with this guy. And um, I mean, it, there have been shots of him, uh, going through shoot around and, and Tony Parker said that he was practicing with him a bit. So that's encouraging. I know I love Kawhi Leonard. I can't wait to see him back out on the court, but what's been interesting is, is how good the Spurs have been without him. They're, they're 16 and eight. They're third in the West right now with the sixth best record in the league. And th- their offense is just completely hinged on LaMarcus Aldridge, who's, who's been incredible. And, you know, when Aldridge has come out there, their team has sort of fallen apart a little bit. So they're going to, they want their other superstar to come back. But one rumor I've heard is that the Spurs were actually sitting out Kawhi a little longer than necessary because they wanted to make sure that LaMarcus Aldridge, you know, came around and got more comfortable with the team. And even more so that they wanted him to get an all-star bid because that's important to LaMarcus Aldridge. So, I mean, that's, wow. uh, I, I read that on, Pounding the rock is some speculation. Nice. Did, did, Start did the rumor also, mill. Did you write that article? Okay, it's true. I also write for Pounding the Rock. I did not write that one. So <laughs> that's a little right. plug for my uh, the site I write for, though. Yeah, I'll say some words. Um, like like you said, third in the West. If he was there the entire season, would wouldn't they be third in the West? Probably. I would say yes. You're saying Kawhi's presence wouldn't have um, catapulted the Spurs past the Rockets or the Warriors. Do, do you think it would have? I feel like I, I just couldn't imagine it having having done so. Oh, I but, agree. They they probably third in the West is probably where they would be. Probably yeah, with, so, with a better record, but yeah. yeah. But Popovich is just he's just he's just the best to do it. Probably the best ever, maybe because because Phil Jackson is is the worst ever. So. <laughs> Therefore, Greg Popovich must be the best ever. Um, yeah, Popovich always seemed like one of those guys where he could just put anybody in the game and they would do a good job, and, and you would always trust them. I remember uh, – George Mason, is that his name? Nope, that's a college. Sure. <laughs> what, what was the guy Mason? Shooter for the Spurs. who was terrible elsewhere, everywhere else. Yeah, we'll, we'll think of it. I don't know. Well, I'll get back to my story. Back uh, during the lockout year, when they had, there was like a the Spurs had that really tough road trip, and then he just decided to send all his starters home, which is when like this resting debate really first started because they had a matchup against the Heat, and they just they didn't even bring like Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Ginobili, and Danny Green. They literally just sent them all home and didn't bring them to the game. So that's when this started. And then with the team that they had against, like, the LeBron, Wade, Bosch, Peak, Heat, they, like, lost in the last minute. And and that's just that's just the Spurs that we're seeing this year. They just – whoever's on the court is going to do their job. They're going to be trusted, and then they're just going to do it. 
even, even, Roger, even Roger Mason Jr. who kept Roger Mason Jr. That's the one. He was probably the superstar that game against the Heat. Nice. Go Spurs. Go low Spurs. Awesome. All right. So with that, we have cruised through our out and our questionable sections. Um, we're going to transition to our day-to-day -day section. Uh, and to kick off day-to-day, -day, guys, the Cavs, 13 in a row now. LeBron James had a big game, kind of game ceiling shot uh, tonight. First off, want to get your takes on: Are you impressed? Are you surprised? They're now eighteen and seven uh, after winning thirteen in a row, and and really, you know, to set the stage here, Dwayne Wade's kind of been leading the charge. He's got the the highest net rating over the last fifteen games uh, in clutch situations for for players that have played at least eight eight of those games. So at, at 35 years old, you've got Dwayne Wade with the, the highest net rating, and it's it really being led by the offensive rating, um, leading the way there for, for, for the Cavs. So talk to me a little bit about uh, whether or not you guys are actually impressed by the streak or, or really even surprised. Well, I'll, I'll start it off. So they have won, what, 13 in a row is what we said, which is, is good. You can only play who you play, and they've won every game. But – me and Jake talked about this a little bit last week. I'm going to read you off these teams that they've beaten. The Mavericks, the Knicks, the Hornets, the Clippers, the Pistons, the Nets, the Hornets, the 76ers, the Heat, the Hawks, the Grizzlies, the Bulls, the Kings. How is that the stretch of schedule? Oh that God. is such an amazingly That's fortunate terrible. stretch of schedule. Oh, my God. Our key victories in there are the Pistons. And that's the, 70, the 76ers and the King, the Knicks or the Heat, those were the other two like mildly okay teams who were that's unbelievable. 500. So, I mean, yes, it's impressive that they've won all these games, but I, we, I can't read into it enough because none of these teams are good other than the Pistons, who me and J Jake and I think are a legit team. Tom also thinks they're a legit team, but they're not. They're not the the Celtics, the Rockets, the any of the top teams in the West, really. So I'm impressed with all the wins. I'm not impressed by all by who all the wins are against. Fair, yeah, fair no, that, that's totally fair. I think um, one thing I, I just checked it out in the last 15 games, the Cavs rank about league average in defense. So that's been one thing that people have been knocking them for all season is their is their bad defense. And uh, we kind of knew all along this was a strong offensive team. They have a lot of offensive-minded players, with Dwayne Wade and Kyle Korver coming off the bench. Um, and with Tristan Thompson out, they've had to play even more Kevin Love at center, which you know, is another offensive focus group. But even despite this, they've been 14-1 and in their last 15 games. They're still just league average in defense. You know, and, and that's a step up because they were dead last through the, you know, the first month of the season. So maybe it's it's showing they have some kind of switch to flip here, and then they can go into the playoffs and and step it up enough. I I don't know. Am I impressed with it? Not really. Maybe it's because I was so underwhelmed with the first month of the season that this is more in line with my expectations of them, because they still should be the favorites to win the East. So you know, until they do that, you know, nothing that they do is going to surprise me. Yeah, fair, fair, and and and. You know, the thing I'm really interested about, so yeah, they've, they've played great and they've got some wins against teams that suck and but strung those wins together. How do things change again when you introduce Isaiah Thomas 
back into the lineup. He was playing, uh, I think, four on four the other day. Um, so he's starting to play some some contact basketball and, and eventually stepping it up a bit. What do you guys expect to see? Uh, give me some of your, your preliminary thoughts on when I when IT comes back. How does this change? I have absolutely no idea because Isaiah Thomas was just at, so ball dominant against the Celtics. He was playing with – a lot of times he was playing with four people who who couldn't score. So – just, just his ability to to get to the rim with no other offensive options was amazing last season, and putting him on the same team with LeBron James, if he's fully healthy, offensively that's amazing. But defensively, he's listed as five nine, which means that he's not five nine, and <laughs> the, I mean, long term, regular season, it'll be great. Long term, playoffs, I don't, I don't know about his defense. Yeah, but you have to think about who he'd be replacing. So right now the starting point guard is Jose Calderon. Did you know that, Greg? I kind of knew that, but I didn't want to believe it. I, I saw him start <laughs> one game, but I, I, I just said that. That, could, that must just be an aberration and not the norm. How many years ago was he too washed up to be a Nick? Like, I'm, I'm in shock that they're – the fact that they've – you know, managed a league average defense with Calderon starting at point guard is actually, I, I take it all back. That is impressive because <laughs> he can't guard anybody. I mean, Isaiah Thomas at least tries and like has, he's quick enough to stay in front of somebody. I, I think Thomas coming back is going to be huge. They're going to have an actual point guard for the long, for the first time in a long time. Um, and, and also news this week was Derek Rose is trying to make his comeback two, which was has kind of been a bizarre situation. Kevin, what, what do you think about this, the Derrick Rose situation? Yeah, that's been one of the weirdest things that I've ever seen in a really long time. Derrick Rose, I mean, he can't, can't fault the guy. You know, he's, he's got a long, a really long life and hopefully healthy life ahead of him. And I, you know, if I was in his shoes and making a boatload of money and having made a boatload of money and won an MVP, you know, Going through another rehab, going through, I'm sure the pain and 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 all the uh, icing and, and whatever else he needs to do to get ready to even play in these games now, you know, I, I kind of liken it to um, Brandon Roy a little bit, and how you know Brandon Roy just wanted to play, loved to play, but injuries caught up to him, and I kind of think of that as a similar environment. So, you know, whatever he decides, I I I, I think he's a great player, and I love have loved watching him. I think it's such a shame. That he's been injured as, as much as he has, but you know, as as the Cavs fans have said, you know, I I also follow, I support him 100. percent Whatever he decides to do. Yeah, Jake and I touched on this last week, and I support him like 50 percent because because of just because of that game on the Knicks last year when he just decided not to show up and not tell anybody, and so <laughs> so it's like, all right, I hope you're you're healthy as a person, but like I don't I don't care. Sorry, sorry. That's a really mean thing to say, but he's 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 not a good guy in my book. So because he left care. one game with the Knicks. He also had some off the court <laughs> stuff going on that I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how the legality of that all played out, so I don't want to speculate on it. But I think there's a, probably a case to be made that he's not a good guy. <laughs> but uh, either way, we're talking strictly basketball here. I don't know that LeBron really cared whether or not he came back from strictly from a basketball perspective 
Derrick Rose wasn't all that great when he was on the court for them. He he stifled the offense. Um, you know, Dwayne Wade really couldn't play with him at all. And and D Wade's pretty good as a primary ball handler, especially on second units. So Rose kind of negated some of his value. I I don't think the Cavs are any worse for the wear if he continues to sit out. Hey, Derrick Rose on the season. 12 assists, 19 turnovers in seven games. That's shocking. Those, that's crazy. Bad. Per close game. To close to one, one, one to one. No, that's pretty bad. He, he's had 12 assists in seven games as the point guard of the Cleveland Cavaliers, which is it's, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, so I just pulled up his on-off court numbers, and the Cavaliers are 20.6 points per 100 possessions better when Derrick Rose is on the bench. So, Yikes. That is uh, the worst among anybody who's played more than 17 minutes on the team. Oh, my that God. Absolutely miserable. So I don't think they're – again, the, the, his teammates probably want the best for him from a health perspective, but from a basketball perspective, they are probably rooting for him to stay out. As is Greg. So with that, I, I, I want to actually transition now to our healthy section of the injury report. People that are marked ready to go. And, and there's a few people I want to talk about first. First is Bradley Beal dropping a 50 piece uh, this week. Uh, Wizards are, are kind of, you look at the Easter Conference standings, and there are the Wizards, probably the three or the four seed. It's been that way for the past, I don't know, four or five years almost, it seems like. But Bradley Beal, kind of with a, an offensive explosion, John Wall sitting on the bench. Guys, reactions, first take on on if this catapults Bradley Beal in your mind to uh, a more elite score or if he was already there. I kind of want to get your take there. I mean, we know that Bradley Beal can score. And he's been scoring. He's been the number two option on this team for a while. And we like what he does. But, I mean, the, the Wizards are only 13-11 and 11 right now. without, And they're missing John Wall. And you could tell very much that they are missing John Wall. He's not carrying this team, like, every night. So that 51-point game was the second night of a back-to-back. The first night of that back-to-back, they lost by 47 points to the Utah Jazz, and he scored 11 points on 4-for-15 shooting. So while the 51-point game is good, it's amazing. Not many people do that. The 47-point loss to the Jazz is is equally amazing in a sense. So I'm impressed. I'm impressed by the one game, but the Wizards have not been good without John Wall. In the last – Few games Bradley Beal's played. They are one, two, three, four, and four and six in their last ten. Not good. That is not good, but that's some quick counting on the spot there, Greg. Thank you. I'm very good. <laughs> um, so I, I was just looking at the numbers for Bradley Beal when John Wall is both on the court and off the court, and not surprisingly, Beal scores about three points more per 36 minutes when John Wall's off the court. He's shooting a few more shots um, 
in that time. But he's actually surprisingly more efficient when John Wall's off the court too. You'd think that with John Wall creating his shots and, and kicking out that he'd be able to hit more from three. But he's shooting 39% from three when John Wall sits and just 34.5% from three when John Wall's on the court. I think it's a pretty surprising stat, and maybe it's just a small sample size situation. But the other thing that kind of surprised me is that Bradley Beal doesn't uh, step up his playmaking at all when when John Wall is sitting either. He has the same exact assist rate. Um, you, you'd think that the Wizards offense would lean a little bit uh, more heavily on him when Wall's out, but it looks like it's kind of – at this point, he settled into who he is as a player, albeit a very, very good scorer and a player that most teams would want to have. But in terms of just making plays for others, I was a little surprised by that. Yeah, and one th- one quick thing I'll point out: I know McGovern said they're they're like the three four seed, but which is how I picture them in my head, and they very well may have been that yesterday. But today, they are in the eighth seed in the East, but they are one game back of the four seed. So the Eastern Conference is very tightly packed right now. Of mediocre basketball. Yep. And the Knicks are trying, they're pushing their way up and they're going to get in there. They're trying to be as mediocre as everybody else. Nice. Well, I will say, even when John Wall was playing earlier this season, I'd take a look at his box scores and they'd always just be very inefficient shooting nights for him. He'd he'd be like five for 16 and like six for 18. It It was very strange. I think he's, having one of his worst shooting seasons so far. That wasn't backed up by any stats. I'll actually look it up and then confirm that later. But uh, it, it's just been it's been weird to see Bradley Beal kind of become the guy for them in terms of uh, their go-to guy down the stretch and in crunch time. Hey, Tom, no need to look it up. Bradley Beal is having his worst career shooting season from three. Who's John Wall or Bradley Beal? Bradley Beal. Were you talking about John Wall? I was saying John Wall wasn't shooting the oh. ball very well earlier this season. Well, Pretend you were talking about Bradley Beal and you were right. Nice. Go get him, Statman. Good job, Tom. I'll take it. Hey, what do we got next, McGovs? Come on, hit, hit us with some good stuff. So so I think this is this is probably the one that, you know, it's kind of snuck onto the radar a bit for me. I, I guess mainly because I don't I haven't been paying as much attention to the Western Conference teams outside of the Warriors. Christ, James Harden is playing at an unreal clip again. You wouldn't expect, based on the season he had last year, but usage is through the roof. Tom, I, I'm sure you've got usage numbers there. Uh, Three-point shooting through the charts. Uh, uh, you know, he's on an MVP-type tear again this year, and as long as Russell Westbrook doesn't average a triple-double, he might, he might get it. Um, so not only do you have potential MVP candidate, you've got you know, a, a Chris Paul perennial MVP candidate most of his career as well, and probably the most improved player in Clint Capella. Um, so I, I just want to talk with you guys about what you've seen from Houston this year. Um, are they a real threat? Um, can, do they have enough to put it together and, and really get your thoughts on how Harden's been playing so far this year? Come on. you you got to mention Eric Gordon, the reigning sixth man of the year. This Eric Gordon. Was- before Chris Paul, Chris Paul came back, <clears throat> before Chris Paul came back, this guy looked like an all star, and he's still second on the team in scoring, averaging nineteen point four points per game. And now he's coming off the bench. So when you got nineteen point four points per game coming off the bench, that's helpful. And then you got D'Antoni's this offense, who 
I feel like the league changed just for Mike D'Antoni. He started changing it with the Suns, and now because of that, people are just launching away the three-pointer. What Ryan Anderson does for this team in the regular season is it's it's just not matched by anybody. He like you see Steph Curry shoot really long threes from time to time, but that's just where Ryan Anderson spots up from, and you and you have to guard him. He just, he does that every game. So. Just yeah, their offense. I love that, Greg. I love that you appreciate Ryan Anderson. I hate Ryan Anderson. But okay, you do. Uh, I, but I like Ryan. what he does. That makes more sense. No, I actually don't hate him. I do like him. I just think that he can't play during the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think he can play ever. No, he's a great offensive player during the regular season. Dominant. Dominant. Nobody, nobody like him. Maybe not dominant, but unique. And those are synonyms in my book, I guess. Did you did you say the same thing about like Hito Turkulu and, and the, that's that those sort of players? Yeah, right when Hito Turkulu led the the Magic to the NBA Finals, that's probably a bad example of a person to use. <laughs> yeah, but also uh, not a lot of players do just spot up from thirty two feet out. I mean, maybe that's a little far, but yeah, Ryan Anderson's he is a unique player in that sense. Not not a lot of guys do that. Eric Gordon, his teammate, kind of does that too. But, I mean, back to Harden, he has been absolutely incredible. For, for you longtime A-Lab listeners, you can go back to our uh, kind of end-of-season awards podcast from last year. And I know a lot of us picked James Harden. I, I don't think any of us thought Russell Westbrook deserved the MP, MVP, though we acknowledged that we thought he would win it just based on the, the media, the corrupt media. <laughs> yeah. No, but we, we all thought that Harden deserved it, and he has been runner-up t- twice out of the last three years, and s- through the first quarter of the season, there's no doubt that he has deserved uh, the top billing as MVP. LeBron James is close behind him for number two, but Harden right now is, is certainly my MVP. Yeah, I'm with you, Tom. And the only thing that scares me is that with Chris Paul coming back, you wonder if his stats are going to come down, but... As of yet, his stats have not gone down at all. And they, they, as a matter of fact, they're flying up. Since Chris Paul came back, he has games of 48, 29, 21, 37, 37, 29, and 36. You that think that's like a higher average than what he had previously? Yeah, exactly. Man, Chris Paul is really, really good still. I mean, probably top 12 player in the NBA, good still, in my opinion. And he is selfless. He's never cared about his scoring average. I, I could see him totally helping Harden's case for MVP. Uh, one thing I will say about Harden's shooting that has felt a little unsustainable is his three-point shooting. He's taking 11 threes per game, which is pretty ludicrous. It's, it's the most in the NBA. Uh, second most in the NBA is 10 threes per game. That's Eric Gordon, his teammate. So... <laughs> That's kind of crazy. But James Harden is shooting 40.5% from three on a bunch of just – you know he's pulling up all the time. Like these are not easy three-pointers. They're not catch-and-shoot three-pointers, right? He's pulling up off of pick-and-rolls when guys go under and you know shooting contested ISO threes. It's, I can't imagine he's going to end the season above 40% from three, especially on that volume of attempts. Yeah, but there's swag attempts, and, and there's value in that. No question about that. There are there are definitely swag attempts. Well, outside of the swag attempts, and, and actually talking about that three point shot, the, what I actually do want to end on 
and it's a, it's a it's a softer, easier a lob question. But Jason Tatum, NBA's three point percentage leader, at fifty one percent through however many games this season. What do you think he settles in at? Can he sustain it as the leading three point shooter? And uh, we'll end with the Celtics softball uh, for this this podcast. I want I do want to address the Celtics question because I know you're a big Celtics homer, Kevin. But before we do, can I just go back to one thing? And that's you talked about Clint Capella as kind of like the no brainer most improved player, and I have a bone to pick with it. Ooh, I thought I'd sneak that in, and no one would contest it. I don't think there's any chance that Porzingis is not the most improved player. He's averaging 25 a game. Last year, he was the second option behind Melo, and I want to say he was averaging, Greg, keep me honest here, was it 16, 17 points a game? Uh, yeah, I think it was 17, 18, but it was, 17 was one of your options, so yes. I'll say yes. It was one of my options, yeah. Yeah, but he has become an amazing player. 18.1, this is the number. Okay, so yeah, you were right in the 17-18 range. But even so, just as far as his, his usage and his efficiency, I, I, got, I have to think he's among the front runners for most improved here, right? Got to be. He's, he's, as a big Knicks fan, I didn't think he was ready. But he's shown that he is ready. But now defenses are adjusting to him. He's seeing the double team a lot. He's seeing people just be very physical and just daring the ref to call fouls on them. Uh, and the refs are not calling fouls because Chris Stapps was flopping before, but now he's he's settling in, not flopping as much because he he, I don't know, he's just letting people be physical with him. So he might have to might have to get back to flopping if he wants to start getting calls again. Yeah, and I've just got Kevin. I've got two more guys that I think might be better, most improved candidates over oh, your boy Clint Capella. That's Victor Oladipo in Indiana. Ooh, good call. And Tobias Harris in Detroit, but. I mean, Harris is Kobe, actually kind Kobe's of. Always been good. Yeah, that's that's true. I think he's just getting more love because the Pistons are winning games right now. Yeah. Yep. But but Oladipo, Oladipo is a, is a good one for sure. Yeah. Twenty three points a game after, I think taking just three shots per game last year. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think that's that's right. Tom. Is that yeah. right? We don't even need to double check that one. I forgot. Yeah. I forgot that he actually shot the ball. Like I, I actually thought he was just like one of those guys that would just dunk a basketball every now and then, but it turns out he can actually shoot it. So. You've convinced me. I changed my vote. Hey, one funny thing about Oladipo is that his second year in the NBA, he averaged seventeen point nine. So we knew we knew he had this in him, kind of. We were hoping he would progress to this, but he got he got his growth stunted a little. For it started before Russ, but Russ certainly didn't help him. And side note, that's a really good strategy for winning most improved players: just having one purposely <laughs> really bad season and then go back to playing well and, and hope that the voters acknowledge it. It's genius. So if you're listening and you're good at basketball, do a bad job this year. You can win an award next year. It's a good life strategy. I but agree. I'll get back to Jason Tatum. This guy is – I mean, Jake says it all the time. Rookies don't shoot very well. That's that's the thing about rookies. But he's doing it. And The best, and this, the best actually. He's, yeah, he's doing it. It being the best. Come on, obviously. Um. He's only attempting three shots per, or three threes per game compared to James Harden's 11. So can you really be impressed? And the answer is no. 
Well, I think averaging 14 points a game too, though. I mean, come on. Give the guy some love, Greg. I mean, even three shots a game. The guy also shoots – I forget the stat exactly, but I believe through the first 20 games he was shooting 80% from corner threes. So in, in a, particularly in the NBA where corner threes are – you need to make those to space the floor – and those shots come up so frequently. That's such a dangerous weapon to have, particularly if you can continue it into the playoffs. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I, I'm a I was before the draft, I was a big Jason Tatum guy. I believed in his game. And I'm I'm I'd be happy to see him doing this if he wasn't on the Celtics. To be honest with you. I like yeah, no, the guy. I think that's totally fair. Um, and I know a lot of guys have been very critical of Duke grads in the NBA. Like your boy Matt Christensen. Yeah, I'm very skeptical of all Duke grads. I guess Jalen Brown wasn't really a grad, but he did matriculate, so that was a word I wanted to say. Um, Jalen Brown's a cowboy. Oh, good. Wait, did I say Jalen Brown? I thought we were talking about Jason Tatum. We were, but then you said Jalen Brown. It's all right. I I get those young Boston guys mixed up, but I'm looking – Hon, you guys talk amongst yourselves for a moment. I'm pulling up his corner three numbers. All right, 13.9 points per game, 5.3 I told you rebounds. 14. I know you did, but it's 13.9. Yep, well, okay. 5.3, 5.3 boards. I'm more impressed by the 51% from the field than I am from, from three. Dude, also, check out, check out his de- defensive rating. I think, I'm pretty sure he's still one of the top ten players in the NBA on defensive rating. I feel like that's, that's because of the Celtics. As the entire Celtics team is is the top ten in defense. Exactly, rating. but so what? That you is still... a team stat, yeah. So uh, Al Horford's good at defense, and then everybody else is just fortunate. Oh yeah, sorry, I, I forgot that it, it takes one guy to be good on defense. No, it well, is impressive that he's been a part of this defense. I, I agree with that. No, I like I like what he's doing. I'll, I'll be honest, McGovs. Uh, I think Danny Ainge did a good job. Uh, he's doing a better job than Markel Fultz. Plus, they got they got this this next pick coming in from either the Lakers or the, the Lakers, yeah, the Kings, depending on what what goes on in the world. Yeah. So to, to fact check McGovern's eighty percent comment, um, Tatum is shooting forty three point eight percent from the corners on forty eight attempts, which is a lot. So like he's he's definitely doing a good job over there. And I know a lot of people coming into the league thought that Tatum was going to be a mellow type, where he's hitting a lot of ISO mid-range jumpers and that he wouldn't necessarily work in Brad Stevens' system, but he has dispelled any of those notions because he's, he's been incredible. He, not rookie of the year, Donovan Mitchell incredible, but you know he's definitely, he's definitely been impressive. All-NBA but, first team. So that's what I'm talking about, Tom. All-NBA, all-rookie first team. I love it. Yeah, Donovan Mitchell's been doing a great job. He, he just put up – how many did he score the other day? 40-something? It was forty something. You'll just have to take it. Was, it was forty something. Yeah, yeah. So that's it's a good stat. Yeah. So Tatum does that, and then he can talk to me. But you want to talk about the Celtics' chances in the East? Is that what we were trying to get to, McGovern? Well, I, I think we all know the chances for the Celtics in the East are very, very high. I, I don't think it's necessarily something we need to we need to continually bore the listeners with because, <laughs> with all due respect, the Celtics are and will continue to be a very hot team in the East until something changes. Hey, I'm with you. I, As much as I hate the Celtics, I hate the Cavaliers twice as much. So 
I, I always root for the Celtics against the Cavaliers, but then when they lose, I say, hey, at least at least the Celtics didn't win. So true. That's a fair point. And again, me and Jake touched on this last week. Defensive or defense in the playoffs is completely different. It's a different beast. So tough to judge the 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 regular season success we're seeing, just like the Celtics last year. Will will it be the same thing next year where they they lose by 44 points to the Cavaliers. Hey guys, I need to amend a, a stat that I gave earlier. I, I had to fact check myself. I'm sorry to do this, but before when we were talking, like you kept mixing me up about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So I looked up Jalen Brown's three-point numbers. <laughs> Jason Tatum, first of all, he's only taken 24 corner threes, which is half as many as Jalen Brown, his counterpart. But he is shooting 62.5%. He is 15, Thank you. 15 for 24 on his corner threes. You know, that's pretty good. So I had to make that that amendment there, but that's not very many three pointers to take. But still, very good for the ones he's taken. Agreed. He's just got to take more of them. He can maintain that same rate. Just got to take a bunch more of them. Yeah, he should shoot eleven per game, like James Harden. Yeah, exactly. Just eleven corner threes. He'll be a, he'll be a a regular Roger Mason Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! This is the perfect wrap up I've ever. It's the best wrap up we've ever had. That's such a strong callback. We. Uh, Got to end it on that. Have to end it on that. All right, gentlemen. It has been a pleasure as always. Greg, you can cue the the sign-off music now. Okay. Nailed it. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. Subscribe on iTunes. Read our stuff. Check out our Twitter account. Talking Knicks. This has been a lot of basketball. <laughs>